0: Hello Bonesai friends and welcome to episode 14 of the Bonesai Southeast podcast. I'm Evan Pardue of Underhill Bonsai and this time I'm joined with the crew, both co-hosts today uh Mike Lane of Kisune Bonsai. And then also we have uh Carmen Lesko van of Cartigas bonsai. I'll let I'll let you go there and correct that later.
1: <laughs>
0: Perfect. Uh, Perfect. But uh, how you doing today, Mike?
2: Doing good, man. How about yourself?
0: Doing excellent. Uh, still stumbling through through English words. And how about you, Carmen? How you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. Kind of tired today, but oh, I'll yeah. pull through. I'll have more coffee.
0: Oh yeah, there's always more coffee and more bonsai to work on. Uh, Today we will be discussing the clip and grow method versus wiring trees and uh, which species does it better serve and when is clip and grow a better technique over wiring so. I know it's going to be a little bit of a broad subject, so we'll do our best to uh, kind of go back and forth and express how we feel and our opinions and uh, experiences with those techniques. Before I get started, I do need to mention that our podcast is sponsored by Underhill Boneside Nursery, Louisiana's premier boneside nursery. If you'd like to support the show, follow, like, subscribe to all of our social media accounts. For me, you'll find um, Underhill Boneside on Instagram, Facebook. We have a YouTube channel. You can go to our UnderhillBonsai.com. Uh, and sign up for our web meal. And you can also go over to our store under underhill bonsai store.com for Mike Kitsune bonsai, uh, go to his Facebook and Instagram. Mike show Is it Showhin? Um, what's the Instagram handle?
2: Well, actually now it's just kitsune bonsai.com uh, as well as kitsune bonsai by Mike lane on Instagram.
0: Excellent. Yep. Clean it up. Nice. Um, and then for Carmen, uh, You can go to the Purple Pot Society at purplepotsociety.org. She is one of the co-founders of that club. It is the National Women's Bonsai Club. Uh, So go there for more information. You become a member. I am a member myself, so you don't have to be a woman or specific gender to join. You can support. Um, And also, she is one of the bonsai special uh, collection specialists at the University of Michigan. And they have a very beautiful collection of azaleas. and the podcast will have its own merch soon that is still in the uh, in the pipeline. Just got to uh, staple a few more things down on that. But the logos will be on the shirts. They'll be on the back with a couple of really cool designs. Some of my artists and bonsai friends have done. But if all you can do is listen for now, that's more than enough. We you thank you very much. So uh, as far as cut and grow or wire, which one do you think we, we should uh, discuss first?
2: I kind of think I want to talk a little bit about Clip and Grow and at least my understanding of it Uh, because there's one thing that I think is often confused is I often hear people who are averse to using wire or maybe uh, have never learned to use wire that have shaped trees by just trimming them into a silhouette and they will use the term Clip and Grow and that they're practicing Clip and Grow. To me, Clip and Grow has nothing to do with wire. Honestly, it, it truly has nothing to do with whether you're going to use wire or not. What it has to do with is whether you are going to run those branches out to a certain diameter and build a specific proportion before cutting it and dividing that branch to two. So to me, Clip and grove just represents building a bonsai stage by stage and growing to adequate proportion instead of just wiring what the tree already has and trying to you know catch things up and trying to heal wounds with without the necessary branches. So to me, it's more a strategy of growing rather than not using wire or using wire. Okay. Yeah, I think that's I, a really good... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Go
1: ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think that's a really good way to explain it because I see a lot of people who do just cut into a silhouette and that's not quite right. Um, and it really is about building the correct structure um, mm-hmm. over time rather than just, you know, having the finished products immediately by just trimming it into a shape
0: yeah with the um with the cut and grow style from my uh uses with it on some of the species i can see a little bit more directional pruning is kind mm-hmm. of one of the things that we can use it for especially with trees that are um alternating that's a lot of a lot of the things i mess with are alternating um th- there's some opposite like growing trees, like a trident maple that it's beneficial on. But uh, yeah, cut and grow style also kind of help you define, refine those branches down from tapering from your, your main branch down to your secondaries to tertiaries and, and so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, using it like uh, like you were saying, like to heal wounds. I think that's something that a lot of people kind of get ahead of themselves on, getting like like Carmen said to a silhouette and not really letting it run and establish growth um, and strength in certain areas of the tree as well.
2: No, I agree with that. So when I first got into bonsai, one of the ways that we would teach beginners to, to get into bonsai, and, and I still teach them, honestly, I, I, I lead people astray kind of in the beginning uh, because it's kind of too daunting a task to really approach them with clip and grow when they have no context. But what happens is if you have them silhouette pruning for too long, if you look at a triangle, it's going to be furthest out the lower you go down on the base. So if we're thinking of a pyramid, it's widest at the base which means as my scissors are descending that triangle, they're cutting the lowest branch, the furthest away from the trunk, which now means that my first divide to that lowest branch will be the furthest out of any other uh, branch on the design. And so now I will have limited ramification on that first branch. And I'll never be able to get that back because it'll always be tucked under the rest of the ramification of the, of the rest of the tree. So. I usually have found just it's easier to build things stage by stage and not pass by a stage before you've kind of already built it. So if I don't have a back branch, I don't move on to the apex before I've kind of gotten a back branch. I figure it out and I I coax the tree into giving me a back branch before moving on to the top. And so I won't move forward. I literally will not move forward with the tree until I get the branch that I'm looking for and then I move to the next stage.
0: Is there anything that you're uh, cut and grow at the moment, Carmen, with uh, with the collection over at Cartigas?
1: We do more of a kind of a combination of both wire and pruning, and I think that ultimately, kind of that combination of doing both things um, will get you maybe to your end point a little bit faster because you're putting wire on the stuff that you know you want to keep. You kind of are placing it, but then you're also building through cutting. Um, kind of at the same time. I guess some of the deciduous trees that we have in development are, I guess, what you would term more cut and grow, but they're, I mean, we're just building bones right now. We'll throw a wire on here and there to, you know, move a whole trunk over. Or if there's um, something we want to move up to be an apex or move a branch into the right place, we'll use one or two wires. But for the stuff that's really fresh, as far as some of the deciduous maples go, um, I guess that would be what you term uh, clip and grow. But yeah, usually I think we do more of, of kind of in tandem with each other wiring and cutting.
2: And that's, that's honestly my approach as well. I would say nine out of 10 times. Uh, there are certain trees, especially with hen trees. Uh, I, I find it sometimes it's almost uh, doesn't make sense to use wire, you know, when I'm dealing with very, very small material. Uh, but I'm not averse. Basically, I look at wire as a tool. If I need to move a branch in a direction, I need to get a, a piece of a branch down where I, I need to start developing it, then that's I'm fine using wire. Uh, I'm fine using guy wires. The mm-hmm. My whole thing is I really want branches, and I'm sure Carmen agrees, I'm sure they grow trees the same way, is we want to run branches out to heal wounds and thicken proportion and grow realistic taper in the tree. And uh, you know, if you use a combination of wire with clip and grow theory, I think that is the best approach. I
1: yeah. think when you get to a certain point of maturity with a tree, too, like with a, a boxwood, or even as we're developing chojubai, it's like the majority of main of of building the ramification is kind of just through cutting. We don't use wires a whole lot, um, and that's I think maybe that's more true within broadleaf evergreens and um the deciduous stuff um I lost my train of thought no building
2: ramification with the uh yeah Mm -hmm. and that's the same way we'll we'll do with the tropicals is after a Mm -hmm. certain we'll abandon wire like we'll basically wire structure and then once it gets to a point where wire isn't realistic that's when it becomes a point where you're going to do more directional pruning and bifurcation and stuff like that but Mm -hmm. um One of my main reasons I got into clip and grow was I wanted to challenge myself on learning to grow a tree with zero wounds. And so I think that's the key to to clip and grow is I'm not saying that there there can't be beautiful trees with wounds. But I'm saying that if you have a Japanese maple, you should know the way and the ability to heal those wounds and increase the value of that specific tree. And so Mm -hmm. Clip and Grow, by learning bifurcation and learning to position branches at the opposite ends of each wound that we create, uh, you'll find that you, you, in essence, are dividing that wound into two smaller wounds. And so if you keep repeating that cycle, you'll eventually work the wound out of the tree. And all you have to do is just follow the wound and how fast it's closing. So you just prune based off of wound closure. And so I've made a lot of really cool trees just with that theory.
1: I don't think I've ever looked at clip and grow as a method of um, of wound healing or following the wound healing as a way to develop the tree. But I think that's a really interesting way to look at it, and it's something that um, I want I want to see. I want to look at that as it's happening because I just hadn't thought of it in that context, but it makes sense.
2: Yeah. So so traditionally, like the way that that I was taught clip and grow is you you take one branch and you will cut it back to you know one or two internodes. And then you are looking for two buds to occur at 10 o'clock and two o'clock on that branch. Mm -hmm. And whether they're up and down or left and right is determined on whether you want the branch to go down and and up or whether you want it to go side to side. And what's important is that we clean that middle section between the two branches. And now we're not just healing the wound on one, one branch. Because what happens if we try to heal a wound with one branch is a lot of times we have to heal one to one. So I have, to, I have to grow a branch as thick as the branch I cut off. And so an easier way to heal wounds is to divide the wound by two. And now you're attacking the wound from two different sides. And so as you run these branches out, you allow one to close one side and one to close the other. And as they meet in the middle is when you then cut those two. And now you've created two wounds that are, in theory, half the size of the first wound. And so now if we follow that out to divisions of eight or 16, now that wound is becoming infinitely small almost you know it's out of the tree at that point yeah and so that way just trying to to build trees under that paradigm has taught me a lot about growth and physiology
0: one of the things with cut and grow versus versus wiring from the from the from the aspect that i look at it from is uh a lot of stuff i do with bald cypresses is kind of they're they're a really good way to literally build a tree from a stump when we collect them so a lot of the the wiring that i do early on with bald cypresses is just to set the angle of of branching and the new leader that's going to grow at the top and of course i'm going to carve that down and try to try to my best to heal that that wound whether it be the size of a quarter up to even like six inches across sometimes with them so that wire is definitely essential there and then um Mike's kind of taught me this terminology was the is like letting the branches blow out to kind of help things kind of start getting the vigor going in different sections. And obviously you're going to let the top do that uh, to to increase from a twig up to a new leader on your tree. And uh, one thing I I was doing for a while was I was trying to wire bald cypresses and other other deciduous, fast deciduous species such as uh, trident maples and uh, some elm varieties or, or elm elms within that within the family um and they're all really fast and so I found myself wiring out a whole bunch of of little branches trying to make it look padded out and laid out coming to find that as I'm developing the tree I'm cutting more and more of those branches off I'm kind of just wasting my time kind of backpedaling and so exactly so I'm like at the point now where I've seen other people uh wire out the whole tree and I'm like oh that looks great man but in about two or three months, I'm going to be I'm gonna be cutting all that off of there. And then I'm going to have to regrow and rebuild. And guess what? I might even get to a point where that branch, because if, if I've got that really long branch on, um, like my first branch, for instance, comes out a good distance and I'm starting to build up ramification, I'm starting to build up mature looking branches, but then I get this one bud that pops in the back and comes out a good ways and I start working with that. I might even cut it off to that. You know, that yeah. might be a decision down the line. And so, yeah, um, for as far as the, the cut and grow methods, I, from what I'm kind of collectively getting from our conversation is, um, shohen would probably be your, your ultimate like cut and grow. Um, it's very tedious to kind of wire those guys out big trees, um, such as trees that can take a hard cut back would be great for a wiring, you know, wiring out the initial branching so it does kind of have that first beginning uh chop wire stuff out and then after we're done blowing out branches growing things out to a certain thickness and all that good stuff then we move on to the cut and grow method so um as far as different species and stuff that are good for cut and grow versus versus um versus fully wiring i think on the on our tier list of like what gets wired out you guys probably agree uh like junipers are kind of like your number one, like you kind of need to wire those guys and they need to be consistently wired almost all the time.
2: But I would also say that too much reliance on wire, even with junipers, will lead to what I call spaghetti trees. And so if you like just wire everything that's on a juniper and you just shape the tree and you don't think about back budding or like building from crotch growth, then your tree will be very bony and very leggy uh, by the next year or the next two years. And so then rewiring becomes more difficult and you have to put more squigglies into the branch. And, uh, I tend to still in a way, it's not true clip and grow, but I still, every so many years, uh, tend to do a replacement cycle with junipers where I allow crotch growth to grow out and I will cut back to that crotch growth. That's a little denser and has back budding potential. And, um, and i regrow the tree from that and so i just i i think of that in my head as a replacement cycle it's it's going to happen every so many years
1: yeah that's kind of how we we think about junipers too is that um we style them out with wires And at the point where they're just a, you know, in a nursery pot and they're just kind of wild things, we let everything grow knowing that this thing that we wired this year, just to, you know, put movement into that branch, we're actually going to cut it all the way back to like a twig that right now is two inches big, but you know, in two years, it'll be three times that size. So we're planning to cut back as we're also wiring to move things and put movement into branches. But, um, I don't. I don't know that you could strictly do a juniper from cut and grow. And I think that pine is very similar that you, that's something that you do need to wire. There's a lot of pruning involved in it, but you're not going to get the look of bonsai with the low branches. If you don't put wire on a pine.
2: I absolutely agree with that. Um, Somebody recently just asked me, I just went through a clip and grow program last night with uh, a student and he asked me, he says, is this applicable to pines? And what I said is that the theory is, yes, applicable to pines, but still using wire. So one of the the ways that I I think about it with pines is you would still wire down structure and you would still do the same sort of partial defoliation that's common in uh, 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 clip and grow, meaning that you will thin needles all the way to the tip, but you will leave needles down towards the the closest part of the trunk for back budding. And so in a lot of ways, we're still like running out the same kind of uh, branches and getting them thick, knowing that we're going to cut them back for a taper to a thinner branch. So in a lot of ways, it still is clip and grow. And uh, and I think a lot of times I think what what a big problem is, is in the terminology is like when we say clip and grow, uh, it's easy to assume that that just means like no wire, like I said before. But really, it's a. it's that process of growing something out, cutting it back to taper and then growing that out and then cutting that back to taper and bifurcation and repeating that cycle over and over and over until you build your tree out. And so whether you use wire on that cycle, to me, at least, and maybe, my, maybe I misunderstand clip and grow, but to me, that's still very much appropriate for the idea of clipping and then growing it out.
1: Yeah. So maybe ultimately what we're discovering here is that it's not a versus it's a redefining what the terminology is or clarifying what our terminology is, because yeah, it's.
2: Yeah. Cause I, I would say my only argument against it my, cause I have no argument against wire, but my, my only argument against like wiring out an entire tree, especially like a tropical, like a tropical, for instance, is what I've learned is I'll wire out an entire structure and then the what you can't wire into a tree is taper. You can't wire that into a tree. So whatever I wired, any shape I just wired into the tree is fine, but I will eventually have to cut that back for taper. So I eventually had to ask myself the question, why am I waiting? And so why am I waiting to cut it back for taper when I could finish the tree quicker if I just do it now and move the tree forward to the next stage? So with tropicals, I I know that with, with junipers and some, some uh, conifers, you don't have that luxury, but with tropicals, you know, we really do have the say of wherever we're going to cut this thing. And so Mm -hmm. it really is a highly effective technique, um, with broadleaf, you know, broadleaf and tropicals.
1: I think too, that, um, the the benefit of kind of sticking more to clip and grow once you've wired in a structure is that you get a more natural look especially if you're thinking about a maple or an elm or something like that because in nature these deciduous trees they don't grow flat out you know like you would consider what like what a a pine bonsai looks like you know it's very structured and everything's laid out and very even but deciduous trees in nature are much more upright and kind of lifting and full um so you can't really get that with wire you have to kind of let the tree make the decisions of where to put the branches and then strategically place things or clip things um, rather than just wiring everything out and making a maple look like a pine.
2: Totally agree with that. 100%. Yeah.
0: Yeah, So from what we're kind of like seeing collectively, I'm kind of making this kind of list in my head. It's like pretty much must wire or would be best to wire junipers coming down, Pines, yeah, you gotta wire them out, but there is a lot of clip and grow to that as well. And we get kind of down to the category of uh broadleaf evergreens. So something like boxwood, azalea, um Iliagnus, stuff like that, kind of in that territory. Um that stuff we could say could do some some wiring on, but we have we're kind of in the in the territory of like almost deciduous styles on some of those. So yeah. we might see the growth habit be a little bit more formative to to what we need. And then as we go down, like I'm thinking more of I think elms would follow and in, fall into their own category. You could you could even probably grow an elm doesn't matter what size it is, as long as you, know, you have your taper and your structure and your stuff going in the right direction with your branching and stuff. You could almost exclusively do that species for clip and grow um mm-hmm. and as we move down i think so i think the king of our list for wiring out so it's like it's like on a scale of do you wire to a scale to purely clip and grow i think i kind of have it in my head and i think you guys might kind of agree on this juniper's are on the top gotta gotta wire them on the low i think it's ginkgo's it's kind of like the best example of i don't really need to wire
2: a ginkgo because of the way the ginkgo style exists would y'all think that well also certain trees that don't like to be wired. So there are certain trees that won't handle ligature as well as others. Like beautyberry is one that's not mm, okay. wiring super well. Or um, uh, dwarf rose is one that the, is not known to handle wire well. Ficus Rianne, I, I, every And I don't know the science behind this. I really don't. Uh, but every single ficus rianni I've ever seen wired. Uh, I can almost tell the person, oh, you wired that it's going to be dead in a week and <laughs> the whole will not be dead. But any branch they wired will just die back. And so there are, are certain trees that, you know, won't like ligature at all. And so using uh, clip and grow for that is going to be a necessity. So,
0: yeah, but, I think that's something that then will fall into their own category is uh, very brittle species or even something like with the ligature, which is a new word for me. Thanks for that. Uh yeah. just something that doesn't like its um it doesn't like its cells and uh, and living tissues bent or crunched or moved in any way. And it just kind of gives up on it. Almost kind of like that whole thing where uh, some trees just have that naturally built to their DNA. Like if a branch is crushed suddenly by something, then a tree's like, oh, well, I guess that's not a good way to go. And we'll do back budding or maybe even just redistribute energy. So that kind of sounds like that's where that's going with brittle or stuff that doesn't like to be wired. Um, and so... Which species? It's beautyberry. Is there anything else you guys can think of that's really, really brittle? Mine would be like Hokkaido Chinese elms. By God, those things are brittle. You just look at them and they fall apart.
1: There's a few maples, I think, that are really brittle. I can't think of what they are, what the specific cultivar is. but um, And then azaleas are brittle, but if you know your pressure, you can, you can wire them. Um, yeah. I don't think, I don't know about ginkgo because I just completely covered a ginkgo with wire last week. So I think it depends what style you're going for. I mean, if you're going for the really upright flame style, then you might have to wire some things straight up. Um,
0: From the perspective with ginkgo. Yeah. I knew that would kind of hit a chord with you because y'all have a couple of, uh, of ginkgos up there that y'all are currently developing. Um, And I know that they will have the tendency to sometimes go just straight out but you Mm -hmm. could cut that off theoretically and go with the more upright growth on it. Mm -hmm. But um,
1: I think one of our best candidates for clip and grow is probably the chochubai because very rarely do we actually put a wire on there for movement. If we can cut the movement into it, that's preferred all the time. So we have a few wires on them, but.
2: And so there's a Chinese uh, version of penjing known as the Southern school or Lingnan style and Lingnan style is uh, essentially prides itself on using nothing but scissors. And so everything they make their, their trees out of is just scissor grown. And what's really interesting is the, the branch patterns that you'll get are completely abstract. You'll never be able to replicate those twice in a row. You know, you'll always get something new. And um, I think that's kind of like what you're describing with the chojubas, the ones I've seen. It's like some of the movement you get from pruning is just that you'll get angles instead of curves. And so you get, once you prune a branch two or three times, you really get a lot of really intense angle changes. And uh, you can get some really unpredictable and interesting branches. And so I think that's the primary word that we should be focusing on is interest. Is, you know, when we wire, we wire to put movement into a branch. And that's one way to quickly put interest into that branch. Uh, The other way that takes longer is to taper that branch. And so it's very, very alluring to quickly like wire a branch and put movement into it when you could get movement via angle change by pruning. And so I kind of go back and forth. I I love to use both, but uh, I'm a big advocate of exploring just try it. I I want students, I always challenge my students. I'm like, try growing one tree. I don't care if you stick with it and you do this ever again, but try growing one tree without using wire. And it's, it's usually a a big skill building tool.
0: Yeah. I did that um, yesterday with a client of mine, we potted up some bald cypresses uh, and she had a flat top. She had a traditional style kind of redwood, style one and then she had a third one we potted up and it was a really strange shaped tree. It had died at one point, had some weird curves in it. And I was like, this one is just wild and weird enough. How about you like like you said, like, how about you practice only using scissors and not think anything conventional on this? Uh cut it to see what 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 it might do. Because I mean that also could be a reflection of okay so if cut and grow is to help build ramification refinement help heal wounds uh is there is there an argument to be made that cut and grow like from that school that you just mentioned mike could be a reflection of how trees just would naturally prefer to grow and you just kind of go with the movement of the tree because you can you can like easily control the strength and the vigor of the tree uh, by using cut and grow methods like that but would that truly reflect that species natural habit better if you just went with cut and grow would that be more in line with the with what the tree would want to do
2: i think i mean i think so just because it it's more abstract for me to see a branch with curve than it is to see one with angles and so the reason i say that is if you think of how buds are positioned on a branch and how they emerge they usually emerge out at an angle you know so they come out at a v And so that V creates an obtuse angle on the inside. And so what we'll see as a viewer is a zigzag. And so uh, to me, like bringing those branches from one to two, and if they're at 10 and two and you keep repeating that, it's almost like wiring is only going to replicate that. And again, I'm not saying I don't wire. I wire all the time. I wire tons of branches, but I've also built trees with no wire. And what I found is that it's there's no point that I've had to, to use it to direct the growth where I needed it to go. The only thing I need it to do is for precision. So if I want to precisely line things up to where that pad is on a perfect level, then wire is the only way to realistically do that. Uh, other than that, you know, building shape like uh, Carmen was saying with the maples like or the chojubai building a very naturalistic shape Um, I have not found that, that wire is a necessity in getting branches horizontal or anything like that.
0: I was leaving room. Yeah, there you
1: go. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking, um, about Dave DeGroat's, uh, right angle tree. Have you guys seen that one where he had one tree that had a very severe right angle in it and nature doesn't usually do that, but he had this one that, that had that. And so he went ahead and styled the whole tree with right angles. And I don't think you can get that you can't get that sharp of an angle with a wire. So if you're going to be really abstract, um, mm. just purely cutting is one way to go. I love that tree. It's so weird.
2: Me too. And, and that's something that, uh that also is, is kind of interesting. One of the reasons I fell in love with Clip and Grow is that it's, you don't get to make all the decisions with the tree. So we're always looking for buds at 10 and 2, right? Somewhere at 10 and 2. But you might not get, 10 and two, you might get one, you might get one on the bottom, or one on the top. And now you got to either cut again, and risk, you know, missing a node and hoping that it buds back, or you work with the branch that it gave you. And oftentimes, when you're forced to work with the budding that you're given, you'll create these abstract branch forms that you can't replicate again. And so I found that I've made a lot of interest on things that I used to think of his flaws, you know, I've, I, by changing theories and kind of looking, growing it to proportion. Uh, they used to tell me when cutting back to a branch, you should never cut back to an upward facing branch. You know, that's what they'd always say. Always cut back to a descending branch. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you grow, that, you grow that whole line to proportion and the rest of the tree is telling a similar story, then there's no problem with going up. Elms and, and mm-hmm. oak trees go up and out all the time. So there's nothing to do with that. Now, if I want to lay a branch down like a pine tree swept, well, then that's going to be a little more difficult if I'm pulling upward growing uh, branches. <clears throat> but there's times where I work with what it gives me and I make very abstract branching. And uh, as long as I grow it to proportion, it works out okay.
0: Here's a thought to the l- only going with stuff that goes out or down or not cutting, like basically talking about stuff that goes up so even on junipers i've kind of changed the way that i approach that as well um because this is something that uh me and you had talked about mike when you told me about fishbone shaped branches and so when you have a tendency to overwire a tree um then you kind of set your up yourself up for that constant like i'm going to wire this branch out flat anything growing up is a no-go, but then you are missing out on that opportunity to build that next level and that possible cutback uh, that we had mentioned earlier where you go from, well, this, this is going to be a, recy- a recycle restart on this branch. And so I think that's one of the things that that wiring will also do. If you tend to just go with wire every single time and then you're trying to remove all those crotch those crotch pieces, all this crotch shoots that are coming out. You just start missing out on that. But I, I think that one of the things that's kind of changed it for me is when a branch comes up and over, then we have to kind of refer back to how old school John Naka style branches were built. And there was a reason why he was doing that. Um, so that, that, that is a, that is kind of a callback for me to kind of remember, uh, the reason why I'm not just going flat branches anymore. And it, it will, uh, I think if a a lot more like bonsai practitioners go out there and they just keep going with trying to build layers and and instead of just flat onto their branches, then you'll find that in the future you'll have even more stuff to work with. Um, So, yeah, it's it's even something I've applied to to bald cypresses. Um, I think that's something that um, that's kind of interesting. With the with the flat tops that I've been kind of experimenting with, too, is like if there's a flat top, why couldn't there be a layer to that flat top? And if I wire all that all flat and then I don't change over to my cut and grow method and letting the tree just kind of ascend on its own, that that won't be natural enough or feel it will just feel kind of over contrived. It'll be literally flat like an like an airstrip, which, yeah, that's not going to do anything for you.
1: Yeah, right. you, need, you need some of those branches that are going up or down or the wrong direction to create volume or you have to be able to think a few years in the future, this might be valuable later. I might be able to just bring it down. So maybe I'm going to leave it. But that, I think that's kind of a more advanced way of thinking. Once you start doing it, you start to see it. But I know I'm totally guilty of making a complete fishbone branch. On you know When I was first starting, everybody does it. It's like, oh, it's supposed to be flat and out. So it's just going to be this like you know there's no volume there's no layer to it
2: I'm guilty of doing the same thing mm-hmm.
0: yeah you go in there and then you're you're pulling these fishbone branches out and then you're like well where's my other one at there's supposed to be another bone, fishbone like type branch like this that lays on top of that and then mm-hmm. you you kind of get away from the oh I should be trying to build these branches individually as if they were own they were their own trees right. I, um, I read something the other day i forgot forgot who who brought it up it was a quote uh i might have to go back and try to remember it for a later episode because i liked it a lot it was just saying like if your first branch isn't strong enough to stand on its own on on the tree then it's not a good first branch and that kind of and i wouldn't just say that i would apply that to just the first branch i would go and apply it to every branch on the tree at this point so but uh yeah, that, that is swaying a little bit further away from the cut and grow versus wire conversation because we're starting to get a little more abstract about uh, branch development on that. But yeah, that is that is a thought for that. Um, so we haven't really got too, too far into what species uh, do we think that mostly would be cut and grow versus wire. Uh, but I guess let's, let's just say it like each each of us could say which species... Uh, do you cut and grow the most, and which species do you wire the most? Because we're all in different ranges here. Um, and I'll start with saying, I wire, I definitely wire all of my junipers and all of my pines. But I think my number one cut and grow is probably going to be similar to Mike too. Is uh, is going to be Portulacaria or the dwarf jade? I mean, you can, mm-hmm. almost can't mm-hmm. not wire wire that tree out. You can, but you got to be super nimble.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: so, uh, what about you, Carmen?
1: Um, I would agree that probably the conifers need the most wire, especially I feel like probably Japanese black pine, just because the, what you're going for with those is a very structured, specific look. Um, whereas something like a hemlock, if you can have a little bit more or, or a cedar, um, you can have things be a, a little bit more um, wild or natural looking. Whereas with the black pine, you kind of have to have everything laid out very, you know, specifically. Yeah. Um, we do a lot of wiring with those and then probably for clip and grow, um, I'd say probably Japanese maple and definitely the chojubai. Yeah. hmm
2: Yeah. Um, I would say that, uh, I agree. The conifers definitely take the most wire. Um, uh, I use a lot of wire on them, but again, I, I think that there's more trees that I use wire on and use clip and grow theory as a, kind of a, a follow-up or in tandem than mm-hmm. anything else uh i have i do use a lot of for show him like i said pure clip and grow uh because it just tends to make the most sense in a lot of scenarios and especially for mame mame is like pointless oh
0: yeah, to- oh, yeah i was just gonna say especially for micro mame stuff i mean you can't almost
2: do any wire on a tree that small but i don't um, want anybody What what i worry about is that i say like Uh, you can't use wire on a mame. And that's a misnomer because you could, Mm. it doesn't make a lot of sense, you know, Yeah, just not necessary.
0: So, yeah, that, I think that's, that's probably a lot of back and forth that I know it's not like in any particular order and you can kind of see how, how complicated it is to try to explain uh, why wire wiring out versus cut and grow, which is better. But then I think we come to like the conclusion now, it's just kind of, both depending on species and style that we're going for. Uh, there is no right and wrong. There's no, there's no Boom. method that's better. Yeah. I mean, like you said, I do a little bit of wiring when it's necessary, do a lot of like cut and grow whenever it's necessary. So it's, yeah. Uh, I think the definitive answer is there's no better way. Um, just, mm-hmm. just apply techniques across the board. But, um, but yeah, as far as, Things coming up in the future are there any me and carmen talked about abs coming up um mm-hmm. and then um was there anything else coming up uh, is anything going on in your part of the, the the peninsula over there mike
2: i will be teaching uh this is for beginners mostly but i'll be doing an online zoom class coming up i think it's february 18th i think And, um, it's just going to be an online zoom class for $20 and it's going to be very comprehensive though. Uh, it's basically our full beginner class condensed down to like three hours. So if anybody can tolerate it, if they've ever had an interest and wanted to know the fundamentals to bonsai kind of, uh, where we all kind of built our basics, then that's a good place to start. So
0: good, good. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you guys go, support Mike and go be part of that class. Uh, I mean, it's as simple as just having a computer in front of you. Um, I mean, would they need any materials or is it just more similar?
2: Materials. They just probably need a notepad. I'm going to try to supply a downloadable study sheet for them. Hmm. So kind of be a summary of what we're going to go over. Uh, But this is, you know, this is probably the hardest class they'll ever take because it goes over the most stuff. So it's going to go over everything from basic design considerations, repotting tool selection. Uh, I really spent a lot of time on trying to be as thorough as possible with uh, leaving no stone unturned. So yeah, so it's pretty good uh, entry entry level program for people to get started.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, Carmen, you got anything new going on? Any upcoming events you can think of? Uh, for your area?
1: Mm, No, I don't. No. Um, (laughs) I think outside of what I said last week with um, Purple Pot Society being at um, ABS in June um, in Denver, and then I don't remember if I mentioned this last time, but um, the week after ABS, the University of Michigan, so the Botanical Garden um, there, uh, is having a 10-year celebration of our bonsai garden, um, focusing on azaleas. So oh. that'll be fun. We'll have a big online presence um for the month of June cool. and uh a big uh, a naming ceremony hopefully for that space.
2: Cool. That's really cool. Yeah.
1: yeah. It'll be fun. We'll
2: I wish is we- sure. better here, but they uh they don't they don't thrive in our area too well.
1: Yeah, they're tricky in Michigan too cuz it has such cold winters, but make it work.
0: Uh yeah, we'll make sure to have a episode leading up to that, like we had discussed to go into azaleas know, a little great. bit more. Um, but yeah, I forgot to mention earlier. And for those listeners that have gotten this far, maybe this may be, it would be of interest to you. Uh, I have started a Patreon for this podcast. It is only $1 to become a Boneside bud. So if you would like a shout out in one of the episodes, and also if you would like to throw a question at us, we will have list uh listener, question episodes coming in the future. So I mean I would be more prepared to uh, answer some questions just app off you know you know uh what's that from the hip questions would be fun. so yeah go over to patreon forward slash boneside southeast podcast and you can become a boneside bud for one buck and then we have another tier but nobody has to become boneside but best buds but if uh, that's of interest to you too. I know. In it in it adorable. I'm
1: sorry, I'm just loving I'm loving bonsai bud. It's the cutest thing I've ever heard.
2: <laughs> Bonsai bud. This is great.
1: My bud.
0: Awesome. So yeah, thank you guys for listening. Uh this was Evan Pardue and Mike Lane and Carmen You go ahead and say Let's go
1: life. Viansky
0: <laughs> With the uh Bonsai Southeast podcast and we will be checking in with you guys in the next episode. Thanks for listening.
2: Bye guys.
1: Bye.